Good morning. It's good to see you. Um, there's a, a poster that hangs in Ken's office when he has an office. <laughs> and that poster is a picture of a group of teenagers that he and I brought to Charleston in 2000. And it was, we called it Mission Charleston. We were in North Carolina at the time, and he had a youth group at a sister church, and I was a youth pastor at another church. And, and Micah was on that trip with us. And we have, so he's in that picture. He has hair in that picture. Ken and I look 22 years younger in that picture. And um, it just, it's just, oh, yeah, here it is. All right. Ken, Ken's got it right here for us. I'm not even going to, I'll just leave it up here. You can come look at it later. You can see if you can find me. Uh, Ken's easier to spot. But um, anyway, that was, a, that was a great trip. We, we, we loved on Charleston as North Carolinians going to that distant country, South Carolina. And uh, it, was a great, it was a great, but it, what's so cool is to see the, the fruit of that kind of ministry. And we were, I was looking, I was, there was a couple people I was pointing out to the band when we were praying. And I said, um, you know, they're in ministry and they're in ministry and they're doing this and that. It was just, it's just neat to see the, what the church does, right? We, we make disciples and, and it ripples through and it just keeps going when we make disciples. That's what's supposed to happen. And so that's really, it's great memories for, for me and, and for Anita and Ken and Juana and all the rest. So grateful. We are in Matthew, going through the book of Matthew. We'll be in chapter 7 today. Um, you probably have never done this yourself. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt on this one. But you know of people who, who kind of kind of judgmental. Don't, don't tell, don't point at them, okay? But you, you know what I'm talking about? Kind of this attitude of judgmentalism. And, or maybe you've heard somebody say, and maybe you've been in the, in the crosshairs of this one, don't judge. It's really hard to watch the news and not do that, isn't it? And Jesus is going to answer the question, should we judge? He is going to answer that question, but it might surprise you as to his answer. But he's going to give us, he's going to give us an answer to that question, and then he's going to give some color to that answer. And I think what you'll find is it's more nuanced than maybe we think, and it's pretty important. In fact, I think one of the biggest challenges that we have as Christians is trying to show the world that the church is not judgmental and that the church is not hypocritical. And the reason that's so hard is because we are. I am. Okay? I'm, I'm not going to pretend right here. I, I can be pretty judgmental. I can be pretty critical. And sometimes I don't even realize it. That's the worst part. And, and Jesus is going to, so he's speaking to me today, okay? Again, this is one of those, right? This is one of those sermons where it's like, if nobody else is, need, needs this, I'm good. I need this. Um, because I need God to minister to me and show me my blind spots. Well, we, we all have blind spots, right? If we're honest. And I believe churches have blind spots, too. And you could even go bigger than that. So today is going to be tremendously helpful if you have issues like I do and that you deal with the hypocrisy of being judgmental when, in fact, what I want is grace and mercy. I don't want justice in my life. I would just soon God never look at me and give me justice because if I get what I deserve, I'm, I am literally toast, <laughs> okay? Um, but God offers us grace and mercy through the cross. That's why we were able to sing those songs 
some of us were able to sing those songs with joy in our hearts, and some of us were not able to sing those songs with joy in our hearts. Some of you online, you're listening to that, and you're like, why is that? Why are, why are those words like that in that song? And they ask, you know, that's, those are good questions to ask. So we need to ask ourselves the question, is there a word for me here today? And I think there is. And I think you'll find it to be, um, I think you'll find it as an act of grace in God's part to give it to us that we might have time to change. So um, I think this is a hard message. So I'm going to pray again, okay? <laughs> Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, I just need your help. I need you to speak. Obviously, I want you to speak to hearts and minds, people in the room and um, through the screen. God, I just I need you to give me the words to say. No more, no less than need to be said. Lord, give me the ability to say them with grace and love and truth. Um, and then help us to hear not what Darren thinks, but what you have said. And may we be courageous enough to put it into practice by grace through faith. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. So Jesus answers the question in verse 1, do not judge. We can go, or can we? He gives us the reason in verse, I mean, 7-1, okay? Do not judge, or you too will be judged. And nobody here wants to be judged. Nobody likes to be judged by other people. We don't like it, we, we hate it, even though we do it. We don't like it. And then he gives us a little more nuance to the question and the answer. He tells us why you don't want to judge. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Man, I'm get, y'all are all off the hook. I am, you're, you're, you all are awesome. There is absolutely nothing wrong with you guys. You're great. That's the way I want to be judged, right? Man, I wish that was the way I normally lived. You know that thought life the things that run through your mind when somebody you know shows up and we just do it. We don't even, we are so on autopilot. Jesus tells us that, you, that you, you do not want to have, he really warns us against having a judgmental attitude. That's, that's an attitude where you're condemning people in your minds if you're not doing it out loud. Um, usually we do it when the person's not in the room but somebody else is listening. And he's like, you're a fool if you do that. That's verses 1 and 2. You're just foolish if you do that. And Because what you're doing is you're setting yourself up to a higher standard to be judged by. God will use the standard you use for others in your life. Ouch, no. But then he gives us another reason in verses 3 and 4. He gives us this colorful example. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, could be sister's eye, and pay no attention to the plank or log in your own eye? That's a good question. If I have more sin in my life, this is the imagery that's being used here, than you have in your life, why would I think I could come to you, right? Who am I to to do that? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when at the same time there is a plank in your own eye? So this one would just be a picture of pride, right? So I'm walking around with the sin in my eye, okay? This looks pretty ridiculous, doesn't it? That's what God and the angels are saying too, right? And then I see, oh, whoop, there's Chris. Oh, oh, I see some sawdust. I'm going to get some sawdust. Same material, right? Wood. 
But I can see that little tiny speck of sin, and yeah, let me come get that out of there. Meanwhile, I'm whacking people with mine because it's so big and obvious to everyone but me, right? It's really silly, and yet that Jesus uses that to say, that's what you and I look like when we do that. That's what we look like to other people who have eyes to see it. And in our pride, we're blinded by it. Okay? I, anytime you and I criticize the sin in someone else's life with more tenacity than we go after the sin in our own lives, we're in dangerous footing already. Because we do that because we tend to go, well, I'm assuming I've got my act together more than you do because clearly I wouldn't live like that. Well, maybe that's not your sin of choice. Maybe yours is this, but you're blind to it. This is why this passage is so hard, right? Because if we just give ourselves permission to let God, we just say, God, show me my sin. That's a dangerous prayer. I mean, it's a good prayer, but it's when God reveals the gunk in our spiritual lives, it's terrifying. It's humbling. It's, and so in my pride, I just want to close him out and go, I got it together because I'm doing things better than the next person. I look better than that person. And then all of a sudden you start to think, you know, I start to say, okay, so Jesus talked about people like that when he'd call out the false prophets. When he'd call out the Pharisees. He called them whitewashed tombs. Do you know what a whitewashed tomb? You know why Jesus called people whitewashed tombs? So a tomb is where you bury people, right? And it, that means if you're in the tomb and the door's closed, unless you're Jesus, you're dead. So that means what's in the tomb? Dead. What's on the outside of the tomb? Well, we, we saw this. In fact, we would see this in Curacao because of the water table and the hard ground. The, the tombs and the crypts were all above ground. So when you drive by a cemetery or in uh, Curacao, it looks like all these little, <laughs> I almost said, um, tiny houses. There, some of them, most of them are smaller than a, even a tiny house, but <laughs> to make me think about that. Um, and, and so it just looks weird. It's not like what we would see. There's no grass. There's just all these little blocks of, and people, they're, but they clean them up. They paint them. And so a whitewashed tomb looks good on the outside if you paint it, clean it up, whatever. But what's inside is dead. And that's imagery for someone who looks good on the outside, but inside they're dead spiritually. Are you? You all look great on the outside. I'm just going to tell you that. I'm going to take care of that one right now. You guys look great. Okay? Those of you online, I don't know. You're probably in your pajamas, so I don't know. But what's inside is what matters. Are you a walking tomb? Okay? And, and this is connected because it's a matter of the heart. Everything Jesus keeps teaching us in this five chapters, five, six, and seven, is matters of the heart. If you tend to be a person who comes, who comes at people pretty harsh, maybe it's because you haven't really received and realized the grace that God has given you. Maybe you haven't received it yet. Maybe you know about it. you heard of it, but you've never truly received. And so this is why Jesus, would, in verses 3 and 4, he would say, don't judge because that's pride in action. And Jesus had a lot of words to say about the proud Pharisees of the day. Five and six. He gives us a third reason, and it's because you're being a hypocrite when you do this. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see more clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. 
notice what he said. Okay, so the first things first is deal with your own sin. Get it out of your eye because then you're able to see. See what? Now I can see the speck in Chris's eye. And it's not really a speck. It's just some lint. I'm sorry, Chris. I, missed, I totally missed that. Right? So now I can see. But if there is a speck of sawdust there, now I'm equipped and able to pull it out. Does that make sense? It's crazy for me to have so much more junk in my life and then to go up to somebody and try to fix their life. And yet, I know we say that's ridiculous and we think, I would never do that. But Jesus gives it to us here, I think, because he knows we deal with that and we're blind to it when we do it. Now, so if, is the answer to the question, should we judge? No. And I would say, no. The answer to the question, should we judge, is, depends what you mean by judge. If you mean have a judgmental, self-righteous, arrogant, foolish attitude full of hypocrisy where you're pretending to be all that, but you're really not, that he would say, no, don't do that. However, if you're being a, a humble, compassionate, heartfelt follower of Jesus with a desire to see your brother or sister in Christ, or even someone who doesn't know them yet, to get on track with the Lord, and there's something in their life that needs to be pointed out, and you've dealt with the sin in your own life, then yes. So I would caution you, don't just say to people, yeah, we're supposed to judge people. Don't say that that way. That's not going to go well because people aren't going to hear what you're saying. They're going to hear judgmentalism, hypercriticism, looking down and I'm better than you because I've got it all together and I'm trying to help you, lowly sinner. It's It's not that at all. It's someone who's down there with you going, I know what it's like to be stuck in the muck of sin. And I know that you don't want to be there. How can I help you get out? See it? That's that's the heart behind this. And the reason I say that is if you look, he says, when you get the plank out, then you can see the speck in their eyes and you can deal with it. That means that you have to make a judgment. You have to decide whether or not there's something in someone's life that needs to be dealt with and that you you may have the role to to confront that, to speak to that, to help them with that. Now, obviously, there's a tremendous amount of discernment that is required here, okay? If it's someone you really just don't get along with, it doesn't matter how, what things are going on, and you just bump heads with this person, you let someone else do that with that person, right? But obviously, the people that are closer to you, these are folks that we're looking out for. These are folks that we're trying to help, and we're counting on them to help us. Now, I don't need a lot of help here because I get, I get it some, but if you see something in my life that's not right, you need, to, you need to be willing to speak into my life and call me out. As your brother in Christ, I need that. I have blind spots. I'm sure you know that. <laughs> you see them. I don't. That's because they're my blind spots. And so I need people to lovingly, humbly, compassionately, saturated with truth, having removed the planks from their eyes, to come and say, how about this area? Just, just want you to be where you, you know, right? That's, that's what he's calling us to do and, and be. And so he's, he's telling us, you need to, there is a place to judge in the sense that I want to help somebody um, get, I want to deal with the wicked behavior 
in someone's life. So Jesus is warning us not to be judgmental against others, but he's counseling us to, to judge wicked behavior. Now, I say wicked behavior. Why? Because it's something you can see, right? So can you see a motive? Can you see someone's motives? Do this. So I know you, you're, you're listening. No, you cannot see someone's motives. Okay, this is the way I like to say it. Judge the fruit, not the root. Okay, you go up to an apple tree, and you look at the apple tree, and you're going to make a judgment root before you eat an apple. Is this a good tree to eat apples from? And you're going to look at the apples, and you're going to look for worms, and you're going to look to see, you know, does it look good? Is it, you know... How, how does this apple look? You might pull it off and inspect it a little closer. And you're going to judge that tree based on the fruit, aren't you? You're not going to dig up the roots and go, I'm trying to figure out if this is a good tree or not. You're just, you're, and you can't see the roots, and so you can't judge the tree based on the roots. The roots matter, but the fruit is the evidence. Okay? And spiritually speaking, the Bible talks about the fruit in the believer's life is evidence of whether that person's walking with the Lord or not. You can have spiritually good fruit in your life, and you can have spiritually bad fruit in your life. Okay? If, you, if you're writing down anything, Galatians 5 is where you'll find both of those kinds of fruit listed out in detail. It's probably not an exhaustive list. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is the good fruit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And that, again, I don't think it's an exhaustive list. I think, you know, you could, I could come up with some of the things. But the point is that your life is that way, even when you're tempted to go against it. So if one of the fruit of the Spirit is patience, when you're driving in Charleston, you exercise patience. That's a fruit of the Spirit. That's clearly a supernatural work, right? I mean, you know, we're, dri- we're talking about South Carolina drivers here, right? So you're not going to be very patient unless the Lord is, you know, you're giving him permission to, and you're, and you're hearing and sensing the Spirit, and you're tempted to communicate to your fellow motorists, but you do not. Grace, right? That's what we're, that's, that fruit is what we're looking for here. And so we judge the fruit, what we see, the behavior, the words they say, the things they do, the attitudes they carry, but we don't judge the root. We do not say, I know why you're doing that, and I'm judging you for that, because you don't know their motives. Unless they tell you, you don't know their motives. And even, and you could probably guess in some cases, but you do not need to act as if you know their motives. And, and that's where you're just praying. We need each other praying for each other for these reasons, okay? Now, this last verse, verse 6, says, um, it gives us some more insight in how we are to use judgment. And this is kind of in the context of sharing your faith, okay? So verse 6 says, Do not give dogs what is sacred, and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them in, under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Okay, more imagery. Okay, It almost doesn't look like it fits here, but it does. Here, Jesus is once again asking you to exercise judgment. Okay? Um, he'll do it again in chapter 10 um, when he talks, sends out the disciples in twos. In fact, he's already done, shown examples of he's exercising judgment. Anytime Jesus calls somebody a hypocrite, is that not exercising judgment? It almost sounds judgmental, doesn't it? But he's exercising judgment, and he's saying, this is what I see in you, and so I'm calling you a hypocrite. You're acting like you have it all together with God, and yet you're not even walking with God. That's what he's saying to them. Okay? I mean, you can look at chapter 6, verse 2. You can look at chapter 6, verse 5. You can look at chapter 6, verse 
16, and he calls them hypocrites over and over and over and over. No wonder they wanted to crucify him. Man, and yet he's speaking truth, motivated by love, because Jesus is always motivated by love. That's one motive we can count on. Do not give the dogs. This is imagery. So dogs weren't nice little cute pets to people back then. They were varmints. They were scavengers. They were, um, um, they were actually dangerous, especially in packs, okay, because they were almost always hungry, and so they'd come after you. So you had the dogs, so they were the, and then you had pigs. And pigs, there's never a good word said about a pig in the Bible. So um, if you're looking for, you know, reasons to eat more barbecue, you might want to go somewhere else to find those reasons, okay, because it was a kosher food. It was unclean spiritually for um, Israel, Israelites, Jews, Jews. He uses this point, though, to say that dogs and pigs, even when you present to them something that's extremely valuable, in the case of the dogs, it was sacred meat. In the case of the pigs, it was a pearl, jewelry. They don't recognize it for what it is. They don't see it as valuable. Okay? So what, is that repre- what, what do these represent? The dogs and the pigs represent people who don't have enough Ability to spiritually see the gospel, the message for what it is. Okay? And, and the, we don't always know who those people are. Sometimes it's hard to tell. Sometimes it's not hard to tell. It's like they're hostile. They're pushed back. They yell at you. They, don't, they, they condemn you when you try to share with them the truth. Okay? And, and what Jesus' advice, advice to you is back off. You're going to probe and prod and see if somebody's open when you share the gospel. But when you get that hard reaction, that hard pushback, they may later, but they're not ready now. And you don't need to keep on keeping on on that. You need to move on. Okay? And Jesus calls that dusting yourself off. You know, he'll talk about that in Matthew 10 as well. And, and that's why we need to think about it. Because here's, here's the thing. Whether you realize it or not, where you live, work, and play, there are people right now who are open to the gospel. Your job isn't to convince them to be open to the gospel. They already are. The question is, are, is anybody sharing with them so that they can receive it? Okay? They're called people of peace. That's a, a phrase that is used, in, and we'll see that again in Matthew 10, where Jesus says you're looking for people who are open to the good news that the kingdom of God is near. And when you find them, this is kind of his description. They like you. They welcome you into their lives, and they want to help you do gospel ministry, even though they don't know the Lord yet. Okay? Those are people of peace. Some of you can think right now, people are coming to mind right now, people in the office, people in your neighborhood, and these are people that are ready to hear more. They're just waiting for somebody to courageously step out in faith and share. Okay? But if they're not that, then if they're in this case here, like he's describing in verse 6, he says, if you do not... In other words, if you keep throwing the pearls and the sacred out, he says, they may, trample them, you, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. They'll attack the message, and they might even attack the messenger. Just ask missionaries in our history who have died sharing their faith, and you'll understand this verse. See, Jesus is very relevant. He, we just don't always get it because we don't live like missionaries, even though that's what he calls us to do. Okay? He calls us to be a missionary where we live, work, and play. So... Jesus, do we judge? Yes and no. You judge in the sense that you use discernment with great humility and compassion to help people see the sin in their lives after you've dealt with the sin in your life. 
tenaciously, repeatedly, consistently. But you do not carry an attitude of judgmentalism. You do not come in with an overcritical spirit. You do not condemn people. That is not our job. We don't get to do that. And we shouldn't want to do that. Because that's a, in fact, that's a sense that your heart is probably not received the grace and mercy of God. We see this principle. Turn back. Uh, well, you don't even have to turn back a page. Chapter 6, starting in verse 12. The same principle is here. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Verse 14, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. There's this reaping and sowing that is a principle throughout Scripture. When I plant this, I reap this. Okay? So if, I, um, if I'm an angry person and I'm always venting at people, I'm going to reap anger from people. It may not be the same people, but I'm going to tend to get, people are going to tend to get angry with me because there's a spiritual principle at work here. That, and God does that, I think, to teach us and to show us what we're like. Okay? It's kind of like there's people that you know that do stuff and they irritate you. And then you realize they're doing things just like I do. It's so irritating. And you're like, oh, yeah, that means I'm irritating to people, right? But, but that, God can use that to soften your heart and to cause you to be more teachable and open, okay? All right, let me end with this. Um, 2 Samuel chapter 12, I think. First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. All right, 2 Samuel. Okay, so we're going back. A thousand years before Jesus. Second Samuel twelve. There's this in Yeah, that's right. Okay, looking at the first seventeen verses, and I'm just gonna this is a story I want you to hear. Okay? You probably remember the story because uh, even if you don't go to church, you've heard of David and Bathsheba. Okay. And he, he has so he has already committed adultery with Bathsheba at this point, the king. He has already had her husband killed using subterfuge so that it looks like he didn't do it. So he's now an adultering murderer, just to get started. And he's gotten away with it, or so he thinks. Nathan, the other character in this, is a prophet in his kingdom, okay? That means that Nathan speaks for God, and when and, and David respects and honors Nathan as a genuine prophet of God. Okay? This is verse 1, starting in verse 1. I don't know if we have this on the screen or not. So 2 Samuel 12, 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There are two men in, in a certain town. He begins this as a parable. One rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. So he's got one rich man and one poor man. The poor man's got one little lamb. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him, which would have been appropriate hospitality, but he didn't do that. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man, he took it and prepared it for the one who had come to him. 
So he had it slaughtered and cooked it. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. You hear the judgment? You hear the condemnation? Self-righteousness? Knowing that David is, is, has just crossed so many lines. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Now, would you say that was a blind spot for David? You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you, David, king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms, and I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah, that's Bathsheba's husband, the Hittite, with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house. And he begins to unload the judgment. Verse 13, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. This is an example Look, if David, a man after God's own heart, can have a blind spot that big, you and I can too. So before you get too comfortable and high and mighty thinking how good you've got it, if you're thinking that way, you're already in in dangerous place. And you need to acknowledge that you and I have blind spots. And we need to ask God to reveal them to us so that somebody else doesn't have to. I mean, that's why we push back against that. We don't want that. So what I want to do now is I want to pray for us. I want to just have a short prayer, and then we're going to continue with our service with our Lord's Supper as we normally do. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are a God of amazing grace and that you, even though we don't deserve it, you show us our sin so that we can repent of it, so that we don't find ourselves enslaved to it any longer than we have to be. Some people in this room, some of us are are enslaved to sin and have been for a long time, and we need you to cause us to humble ourselves, to help us to surrender our lives to you and let go of whatever it is we're clenching in our fists that is not life-giving. We need your forgiveness. And just like David, an adulterating murderer, was forgiven by you, God, you can forgive us of our sins too. But we must admit that they are our sins. We need to call them out specifically as we can. And then we need to repent. That is, turn away from those sins back to you, even if it's for the first time believing that Jesus died for those sins so that I wouldn't have to. This is why we sing. This is why you're worthy of our praise. This is why we build the foundation on love, because you are love, which is why you do something so loving and merciful as forgive the sinner who has rebelled against a holy God. We need you to open our eyes right now, open our eyes to the sin in our lives, and then give us the courage and the humility to admit that to you right now. Just in the, in the quietness and the stillness of this moment, just in your mind, say, God, I repent of, fill in the blank, 
And then the next thing that you bring to my, and then the next thing, I repent of this in Jesus' name. I repent of this in Jesus' name. As we do that, help us to remember the verse of 1 John 1, 9 that says, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of it. All of it. No, we don't deserve it. That's what makes it amazing grace. That's what makes it an outpouring of your mercy. And we need that today. So God, cleanse us and fill us. Give us the courage to admit and believe. And Lord, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we take a piece of bread, we bite into that bread. We remember your body was abused and tortured before you even got on the cross. Nailed with nine-inch spikes to a wooden Roman cross, hung to die, and then we drink the grape juice, which reminds us of the blood of Christ that was shed. That means you gave your life. You died. But that was required. The one person who lived without ever sinning is the only person that qualifies to be our substitute on the cross. We deserve the cross. Jesus took our place. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son Jesus to die in my place for my sins, for our sins, for the sins of the world, past, present, and future. May we realize what a gift that is today, deeper than we've ever understood before. And as we take the cup and the crust of bread and we we confess our sins before you and then take and eat and drink, Lord, may we have uh, just a, a, a renewed sense of gratitude for the forgiveness we have in Christ, the freedom we have in Christ. We are free, free, forever we're free. Thank you, God, for making us that way. For those that have never done that, give them the courage to do that today, even as they come, even as they receive the bread, and and they would just surrender and receive the forgiveness that only comes through God, from God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.